This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Another episode of the Coast to Coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com brought to you by Johnny T-Shirt. Hubert Davis's first full recruiting class is complete, and the Tar Heels will report to preseason practice in just a few days. This is the Coast to Coast Podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. We appreciate you tuning in. I am Joey Powell. With me, as always, are... My friends from Blackstar, Mos Def and Talib Kweli, Sean Moran, and Trill McMillan. I appreciate you guys being here. Sean, greetings from Asbury Park. <laughs> greetings. Not too far. So, Sean, for those of you who can't pick us up, Sean is actually in uh, Dirty Jersey tonight. Uh, my condolences to you, Sean, for being in New Jersey for any extended period of time. Sherelle McMillan coming live to us from uh, Porchapalooza in Concord. Sherelle, how are you? I'm good. I, you know, our interest music sounds more like a tribe called Quest to me, so I thought you were going to go that way. Oh, huh. shout out to uh, shout out to Five Dog, Five Dog, Q Tip, and Ali Shahid. Um, guys, we're doing our first episode of the Coast to Coast podcast, and thanks to those who of you who are listening and or watching, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Special thanks to Johnny T-shirt. But this is the first full episode we've done since the class was complete. You know, we did the uh, special uh, commitment podcast last week with Tyler Nickel. But now it's time to kind of look at the collective dust as it has settled. And I think it's important for our listeners and Inside Carolina subscribers to to kind of take note of the how, right? Uh, Sherelle, I think you're very popular, at least in our close circle of friends, of saying the what is greater than the how. Uh, but I think it is important to discuss, especially since it's Hubert Davis's first class, uh, you're coming off the end of a, an amazing run and kind of – uh, culture that was the Roy Williams uh, led Tar Heels, and now we're we're kind of evolving into Hubert Davis's squad and Hubert Davis's program. And guys, this is his first full recruiting class. So, Cheryl, I want you to take a few minutes and let our listeners and viewers know kind of how this class came together because there was some some nuance and there were some uh, I guess some aspects of this that were not only new for North Carolina but are definitely going to be new for North Carolina fans. So, so I want you to dive into that for a little bit and help everybody understand how this class came together. So during the day, I work in corporate America. And as you know, Joey, I hate corporate lingo and, and slogans. All but one of the ones, yeah, all the buzzwords. But one of the ones that I think is apt is, you know, and people always talk about building a plane while you're flying it. And that is essentially what Hubert Davis and his staff had to do. Uh, so, you know, go back to April. It's, uh, I guess, April 5th, and Hubert Davis takes the job. And from there, he basically had to uh, he had to re-recruit um, his entire team because of the training portal. So that includes, you know, all the guys who are coming back, as well as Walker Kessler, who ended up at Auburn. Um, that first couple of days, he had already reached out to Justin McCoy, 
within a week, he had already reached out to Brady Manick. Um, and then he started with the 2022 and 2023 classes, you know, all within about two weeks. And what we noticed, um, and maybe it was intentional, maybe it wasn't, but it, it sure seems like it was, there was a lot of pitting recruits against each other in order to secure a commitment. And I think one of the reasons they did that is because in the past, with, you know, with, with Roy Williams and his staff, the way they had kind of done it was once they got on a player, they kind of fixated and they stayed with it, that player until the very end. Um, you know, Harry Giles is an example. Jason Tatum are a couple of examples. Like everybody within shouting distance of me and within shouting distance of Sean knew that those two were going to end up at Duke. But UNC decided to stay with it and continue to visit Tatum, continue to visit Giles. And I think a lot of people think that maybe that came back and, and bit them with some of the, you know, what we call secondary targets. You know, this isn't a situation like it was in 2007 when they miss on Samardo Samuels and they miss on Devon Rowe and they go get Tyler Zeller and Ed Davis. You know, it's not, they're not recruiting at that level uh, or they weren't recruiting at that level um, towards the end of Rowan's tenure. So what Hubert, and, and I'm yeah. sorry to step on you, but I, uh -huh. I want to make sure you clarify this for those who are listening. When you talk about pitting recruits against each other, can you explain that a little bit? So basically the idea that there's two, there's one spot and, you know, UNC is going to offer three guys and, you know, they would love, they probably have an order of those three guys that they would prefer, but they're fine with as long, they're fine as long as they get one of them. Yeah, so not yeah, not yeah. like making guys dislike each other, but, no, but you, that's what you, I mean. My point is you're you're taking two at a desired spot or an identified gap in the roster, and you're letting them both know, hey, we like both of you, but there's one spot on the team. You guys need to figure this out. Right. So look at Christian Bishop, who is out at Texas. He announces on a Wednesday that he is going to announce his decision on, on Saturday. And Brady Manick, uh, UNC was also, you know, in on him, obviously. And we kind of got word that Bishop liked UNC and that Kansas, who was seen to be the favorite, really wasn't where he wanted to go. And so when he put it out publicly, I think this is speculation, but it seems like Carolina said, okay, Brady, you know, if you want to come here, we need to know by Saturday. And Friday, you know, Brady Manick committed. And Christian Bishop is now at Texas. And there was a lot of that. You know, you go to, I think we could say Will Shaver and Deontay Green, you know, then Jaden Bradley and Seth Trimble. Um, and I think we found out now Jalen Washington and Isaac Trout. And then Tyler Nickel and Cam Whitmore. Now, sometimes you may not get the higher ranked player, but I think in the past they wouldn't have got either because they wouldn't have been on uh, somebody who was a secondary target. So I, we, I found that interesting over the last few months of, of how Hubert Davis, Hubert Davis and his staff have approached it that way. And I think it's very important if you go back to kind of what some of the the underlying groans and the, the I guess the discord amongst the fan base about recruiting has been over the last few years. It has been due to the misses that you were talking about where maybe Roy Williams' staff felt they had a legitimate shot at a guy if they stuck around long enough that they could convince a player to have a change of heart. And then they'd be left kind of empty-handed when that player made a commitment or the recruiting window ended. Uh, and I think that's the way you laid that out was really important. And I do think uh, that is a change for, for not only this program, but I think it's something that, if nothing else, guarantees they're going to – they may not get you know their number one target, but it does guarantee that they'll get maybe their second or third, which is a lot better than getting your fifth or sixth in most cases, correct? Yeah, 100%. I think you, you summed it up well. Uh, Why? Well, hey, look, I was just trying to—I was just trying to even dump down the <laughs> the knowledge that you had laid. Uh, I appreciate that. So, Sean, I want to—I want to go to you next. 
from a wide lens, and there's a corporate buzzword for you, Cheryl, so we'll, we'll get, get you right back in your comfort zone. Um, from, a, from a wide angle view, what are the strengths of this class? And I think I'm going to take one, one potential answer away from you uh, because we know Hubert Davis has emphasized shooting. I think most of this class are above average shooters. Um, with that being said, you can either shoot me down and tell me I'm wrong and, uh, and just totally go in a different direction or kind of elaborate on what another um, common denominator or what some other strengths of this class that you see from a, uh, from a game analysis standpoint. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, first off, when you're talking about uh, South Trimble, you're getting uh, a very solid point guard. And with the assumption that Caleb Love is, is going to be gone. I mean, we said this last year that, you know, the assumption was he was gone after his freshman year, but I think we can make the assumption he's gone after after this year is that was uh, the most critical position of need. And going back to what Terrell was saying, you know, they had an offer out to Jane Bradley. Uh, that, I believe that was the first or second one of the class from Roy, Roy Williams. So you definitely didn't want to get stuck uh, without anything or, or even kind of your fourth or fifth option um, in terms of a point guard. Um, when, when looking at the whole class, I think this is one of those classes that can hopefully be a building block. Um, and when I say, when I say building block, um, I kind of mean in, in terms of sometimes there's the five-star recruits or the high four stars that are put around everybody. Uh, but the, the, this group, I think will, will definitely be around for two to four years. Um, in, in terms of, you know, maybe Trimble has a breakout freshman year and he's gone, but I think from a positional standpoint, athletic standpoint, they all have the makeup of being around for a few years to kind of build around them. Um, but I think once again, this is his, Hewer Davis's first recruiting class and, and something that we'll tend to see, you know, are, are there some high, you know, more firepower coming in, coming in next year, just around that, or does he utilize the, the transfer portal again, as well as he did as, as well as he did this past spring. So, you know, once again, I think a solid overall class, you know, I think the number two ranking is definitely won't be number two towards the end, but. Once again, it wasn't uh, you know where 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 they're scrambling at the end, and they got they got solid guys. So uh, something else I, I'd like to kind of uh, toss to Cheryl. Cheryl, how do you feel like the um, assuming these four guys, you know, at some point are on the floor together, which may or may not happen, but how do you feel like they blend in, or how do you feel like their their talents contribute to? Uh, a majority of a roster because you know th this is you're looking at like a third of a roster and just these four guys how do you feel like uh, how do you feel like they'll fit in with with what Hubert Davis wants to do at least from what he said on paper that he wants to do yeah well you, you said we can't say shooting but I mean that is to me that's kind of the key because you have a, a point guard instead of Trimble who is very difficult to keep out of the lane and when Hubert Davis system we, he's talked about and the players have echoed this as well there's a lot more movement. There's a lot more spacing. There's a lot more creases for guards to get to the rim. And if you have a point guard who can get to the rim kind of at will, and there's more room for that point guard to do that, then you would think, you know, uh, teams would, would collapse on that point guard uh, and leave shooters wide open around the court. 
So from that aspect, if you're, if you're looking at Trimble as kind of the piece for the class, the key piece, and I think it fits perfectly because nickel, as Sean said, is you know 93rd percentile um, on the Adidas circuit in spot-up shooting. So he should be able to knock down shots. That is an emerging skill for Will Shaver that needs to continue to develop, but I think he can do it at the college level. And then that is one of the better things about Jalen Washington's game, especially that uh, you know top of the key kind of trail three i mean that he should get a couple of the, maybe not a couple but he probably will get one of those a, a game i would imagine and with trimble's ability to push tempo um it'll be wide open for him so when you when you look at trimble as the centerpiece then i, I think they all branch off of that and, and and they fit it's a good fit on the court sean how do you feel like the overall athleticism of this of this class uh, measures up i mean i don't want you to compare it to past classes but do you feel like this group of, of players can be, you know, because Hubert Davis has said he still wants to be an up-and-down team. He just wants to be a more spread-out up-and-down team. Do you think that this team has the athletes to be able to do that? I think they will be able to do that. I think athletically, outside of Trimble, uh, we're not talking, you know, superstar athletes by any means. But I, I think, you know, Nickel, Washington, even Shaver, especially once he's he's in the – you know, training program, they can, especially for bigs, they can get up and down the floor. Um, are we going to be seeing, you know, the 2009 Tar Heels getting up and down? Definitely not. But if you can pick one position for athleticism, it's definitely the point guard position. Uh, because I think, uh, once again, this is dependent on, on Trimble proving he's a, you know, a threat from deep, but with his athleticism and strength, he can get into that lane, uh, which is going to be important, especially off the pick and roll. I think defensively, uh, it really will depend on where they want to play Washington. You know, is he that stretch four that they've been saying or, or talking about publicly? Then if so, then we might be seeing, I think, some of the same things we saw over the past few years of, of you know, getting beat off the dribble, et cetera. But if he's the five, then, you know, I think we're fine. So, once again, I think it kind of depends, uh, but I would say in terms of athleticism, you have Trimble, and then you know you're looking at not the not the you know nobody that's going to set the world on fire from an athletic standpoint. And we don't know Hubert Davis's exact uh, defensive schemes. I imagine it'll be fairly similar, you know, maybe with a few adjustments. But I do think that is an area of concern with this class um, outside of Trimble. And that's not saying that those guys can't be. Uh, you know, great defenders when they get to college. But I think how they're used, um, and I think um, they're going to have to become really good team defenders because I don't know if individually each of them will ever be a, a quote-unquote lockdown defender, someone who you can say, hey, go cover 11 and, and worry about the rest later. But I do think within the team concept, um, they, they can learn and they can be able to rotate and they can be, you know, solid. But I think Trimble is the only one who really has the ability to to be a lockdown, you know, all ACC caliber defender. Yeah. But, so go ahead, John. Well, yeah, I mean, I think if we were talking about a super athletic class, then we're talking about players that are most likely uh, not going to be long in a Chapel Hill uniform either. So, you know, that's kind of the, the, the pros and cons. Um, and, and the pro being that you can – hopefully have have these guys around for a few years and and kind of build build with them and w w last thing joey when you look at you know kind of projecting out you know you kind of expect don Styles to be around for at least two years mm -hmm. you expect marco dunn to be around for at least two years i would expect puff johnson to be around for at least you know another year maybe two 
And so there, and just adding those three to the mix, you're not asking Tyler Nickel or Will Shaver or Jalen Washington to come in immediately and yeah. be, you know, plus defenders. When you have someone as athletic as Styles, you have someone as long as Johnson, and then you have someone like Dunn who's pretty athletic himself, you know, that can help kind of bridge that gap defensively um, between the three guys outside of Trimble in 2022 and then um, those three that I mentioned from 2020 and 2021. So you're actually stealing my segue here. I was actually going to try to lead, and that's fine. Uh, I was going to lead into <laughs> how do you feel like the guys that will be on the roster will mesh with these guys? And it sounds like you, you pretty much answered that. So let me let me change things up a little bit, ask one more question before we take a break. Where are the gaps in this recruiting class? I, I don't want anybody to, to consider this podcast being too Pollyanna or, you know, uh, too sunshine and, and, and rainbows, but – um, you know, as with every group, there's going to be some some nits that we can pick. So, uh, Sean, I'll let you give one, and then I'll let Shrill give one. What are some places that uh, that this class might lack? And you, you touched on athleticism already, so I'll, I'll take that one off the table. Well, in terms of of lacking, I mean, I think from the just from the fan base, obviously, it's always exciting to be reeling in the five stars um, and be reeling in, you know, kind of the top ten kids. So, obviously, this class is is not that, but at the same time, uh, you know, you have, you have Trimble who's been trending up. You have Washington that for the most part was a top 20 player, you know, uh, for most of the rankings. So, um, you know, I think it's kind of missing the the sizzle, uh, just from more of a fan fan perspective. Mm -hmm. All right, Sherelle, you're up, man. What's, what's something you feel like could be, uh, you know, if, if we wanted to, to identify a word here, what is it? Well, it's kind of like when your team drafts, Zach Martin at 18 and Johnny Menzel, the kind of flashy thing is out there. And man, you're going it, right to your own personal experience, it, aren't you? Yeah. And it ends up being that Zach Martin is the best guard in football and one of the best players that your team has ever had. So sometimes there's blessings in that. Uh, I would say rebounding to me is the skill overall that this class um, just needs to improve upon. And a lot of that is strength. A lot of that is Jalen Washington com getting completely 100% super duper healthy as Will Shaver getting on this 10 January and getting into the UNC strength and conditioning program. Uh, it's the same thing for Tyler Nickel. Um, and then Trimble, I, you know, Trimble, I think, is, is pretty solid as a rebounder from the guard position and, and really strong already. Um, built like a running back or a linebacker almost. Um, but I, I worry about that for UNC just because, you know, if you're, if you're projecting forward, again, yeah. you know, there's a chance that Armando Baker, Brady Manick, Dawson Garcia are all gone after the season. And if that happens, uh, you know, they're, they're, I think they're going to need additional help uh, kind of in the post because, um, you know, the, the bigs just might not quite be ready uh, early on in year one. Maybe they're ready at the end of year one, but I would be a little surprised. I think they're more so will be ready in year two to play kind of those full starter minutes at the ACC level. Um, so uh, unless Styles can come in and be a great rebounder or they just become more of a team rebounding uh, type unit where the wings rebound at a high clip and the guards rebound in a high clip, that's something that I, I think is a little concerning. Well, I appreciate the insight as always, guys, and I do think it's, it, it is a unique situation to have the, the class put to bed um, this early. But again, it's it's a, it's a new era, literally and figuratively, for for Tar Heel basketball. I want to take a quick break. Uh, give a shout out to our friends over at Johnny T-shirt, uh, JohnnyT-shirt.com on your interwebs, or if you happen to be in Franklin Street, right there on East Franklin. Johnny T-shirt is the place for your Carolina gear, swag, paraphernalia, what have you. 
Look, the Tar Heels have had two home football games since uh, as we're recording this, and I'm sure that Johnny T-shirt has been slammed on both of those days because they've been late games. So people can spend all day on Franklin uh, going out, imbibing, uh, digesting, and then shopping, perusing, gallivanting, whatever other 1920s words you want to use. But Johnny T-shirt is there for the Tar Heel fan. They've been longtime supporters of this here podcast and also big fans of Inside Carolina as a whole. So you'll hear their names mentioned on all of our podcast content, all of our radio show and other content. We're just thankful for Johnny T-Shirt. We hope that you guys will take advantage of them. Uh, They are the best top-notch place for your Carolina gear. And, of course, Inside Carolina premium subscribers get that extra 10% off the top. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, let the national guys come in here and drop some ads, and we'll be right back to talk a little bit more about Carolina basketball, but specifically – about this year's roster, the first year under Coach Hubert Davis. We'll be right back. Hey, guys, this is Ross Martin from Inside Carolina, and I want to talk to you about Inside Carolina's new podcast sponsor. It's Blue Shark Vodka. Blue Shark Vodka is a family-owned vodka company based out of Wilmington and Wrightsville, North Carolina. It's available in all 100 counties. And The thing about Blue Shark Vodka is it's the smoothest vodka in the world. It's made with sweet North Carolina corn to create the world's smoothest vodka. It's been distilled four times and then mellowed for 28 days to create that full blooming and awaking flavor. Each batch is in triple filtered, giving it a smooth, clean finish and eliminates any of the alcohol bite. Guys, I've been using it recently with some soda water, fruit juice, little lime juice. It's great for tailgates. It's light. It's smooth. And it's an award-winning premium vodka from North Carolina, local and family-owned and it's available, once again, in all 100 counties. So head to your local ABC store to check out Blue Shark Vodka. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... Well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, and we are back here on another episode of the Coast to Coast Podcast. Sean Moran is in the house. Sherelle McMillan is on la casa. Uh, I am just Joey Powell. Uh, you didn't know the show was bilingual, did you guys? It's, we're, we're, venturing in, we're venturing into the Spanish-speaking market because, well... Uh, I used two words that were Spanish, so officially we can be a Spanish-speaking podcast. All right, guys, the UNC basketball team 2021-22 version will report for practice uh, as we're recording this in about eight days. And I think the first thing I want to throw out to you guys, we got a schedule recently. Uh, It's a lot different than what we saw last year during the pandemic where UNC essentially put out a list of games that was time TBD, uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, you know, opponent TV. Like, it, it was very much in flux compared to what we were used to seeing 
uh, following the Carolina basketball program. This year we've got a schedule. Uh, they're actually getting back on the court uh, in September as opposed to getting on the court in you know, in, in mid-October or whatever it was last year. Are we kind of getting back to normal? Is this kind of getting back to normal? Sherelle, I'll go to you first. I think so. And, you know, it's funny because I read somewhere, I think it was Matt Norlander's column, that only 2% of all games last year were eventually canceled. <clears throat> so while there was a lot of movement, uh, maybe pushing games back two weeks or three weeks or changing times or whatever, there weren't a whole bunch of cancellations. So I think now we're at the point where there won't even be games moved. So the schedule is kind of what it is. You know, it looked like you said, to your point, it looked like a depth chart last year, like, or, or, or <laughs> and, you know, question mark. Um, so I think that normalcy will help the team a lot because last year, they again, they started practice uh, probably about a month later, I think, than they normally would have. The season was you know, maybe two and a half, three weeks later, then it would happen. You just didn't know what was going to happen day to day. But now you know for sure on Wednesday you play school X and on Friday you play school Y because the schedule said so. And I think that's something we all took for granted for a long time, just that you play the team that's on the schedule. Um, so that should be to their advantage. And then um, just having that time with Hebert Davis to have him grow as a head coach and have them kind of grow under him so they can fill each other out They've already had four practices in the summer and they've had individual workouts, but this is a chance for that kind of daily grind, that daily interaction that frankly, they didn't get even with coach Williams last year because of COVID. So uh, it's a situation where it benefits everyone. It's much more normal and it's really going to help them. Uh, It's really going to help them because, you know, it's a normal year. I can imagine being a first year head coach last year and trying to implement your stuff Mm -hmm. and, uh, get people to buy into your culture in a situation like they had. Now, COVID isn't gone, and there's still a chance that it could affect the team. But for you know, it, it seems like that they're ready to move forward, and basketball will be pretty normal this year. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. And I would I would be remiss if I to say the fan base in general is probably really really missing those heated matchups between UNC and School X um, because it's it just COVID took that away from us. And I hope that I hope that the fans are happy to get those matchups against School X and. You know, the vaunted school Y back again. Um, Sean, looking at the schedule, and we're not going to do a full schedule breakdown. By the way, I, uh, I want to make sure I mention um, UNC actually allowed the uh, three transfer players to be available to the media last week. Um, Brady Manick, Justin McCoy, and Dawson Garcia. Uh, Inside Carolina did, um, did record those uh, interviews and has some commentary on the Inside Carolina message boards that you can still find or under Inside Carolina's general content. So go check that out. Um, but, Sean, looking at the schedule this year, I think I only saw two of the uh, Saturday-Monday tilts or the you know, the, the old uh, two games in 72 hours thing uh, where UNC had the second half of that, the back half of that on the road. Does that really matter to players who play so much in AAU? Does that really matter to college players to, to get themselves back up as much as, you know, us – normal non-Division one athlete dudes think it might? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, obviously in the tournament, you're going, you're going that similar, you're not traveling for the most part, but you're going that, you know, game on Friday, uh, game on Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, whatever it is. So um, I think it, you know, it always is kind of a fear when you see the schedule come out, but then, you know, it, it one, once it ends up happening, it's not really that, that big of a deal. Um, you know, I think for the most part, the schedule, there, there's no no real complaints just from from looking at it from an ACC perspective. But I really think, as 
Cheryl was mentioning, you know, going, going to the front and just kind of getting the exhibition game in and getting uh, what I'll call three, you know, what should be three wins uh, before going into the, the Purdue game. Uh, obviously anything can happen, but I think with this team, there is more talent than we, than what we've seen in the past two years and the talent fits uh, a little bit better or so we think right now. Uh, so I think just having those games, especially for, uh, obviously the, the newcomers with the transfers, but more importantly for somebody like Caleb Love, where he had a lot of expectations last year, which he didn't meet. Uh, but that talent is, is evident so that those same expectations are still there for a sophomore year. Um, and I think we're all hopeful that he can, you know, come closer to meeting those because once again, if he doesn't, then it, it, it could still be a rough season. And I think just having a few games to kind of get acclimated, even if he's not playing, you know, amazing. I think just having those games with the the newcomers and with a little bit more talent next to him uh, will be beneficial once they start getting into some of those, you know, the, the power five games that they have on their schedule. Cheryl, you got something you want to add in there? A couple of things I was going to say to, to Sean's point, think about all the, the juice for lack of a better phrase they were missing. Um, we saw the Virginia tech fans, uh, the Friday night opening game, just how insane that environment was. And I think you can expect a lot of the same from Carolina fans pending, you know, it, the stadium is full and all that is allowed to happen. Um, and these guys are going to feed off of that because they've never experienced it before. Again, talking to uh, like, again, I bring back Kerr Walton. He's one of the players we talked to over the summer. He's never played in front of more than like a couple thousand people. And you're like, well, he was in the Carolina Duke game last year, but there was nobody there right. uh, or a few people there. So I can imagine how much energy it's going to give them and that kind of the jolt that it's going to provide to the team in moments of need. Um, because some of the, a lot of those guys just haven't experienced it. Walton, Davis, Puff, um, Caleb, they've never played it in front of 20,000 people before. So it's going to be interesting to, to watch that. And then I would say on the Saturday, Monday kind of deal, I think it's more mental uh, fatigue than physical uh, to Sean's point and to your point, they both, all these guys play a ton of games and they play three games in days and they are, they're always playing pickup. They're always working out. So I don't think it's really as much a physical thing as it is mental. Uh, I, if I'm correct, NC state is on the back end of, of both of the NC state games are on back ends of Saturday, Mondays, I think, or front ends. They're, they're involved in them anyway. The point is, is that you're coming off in a super emotional game or rivalry game or whatever, and then one day to prepare for Syracuse in their zone, basically, you know, for on a Monday night. So I think to me, that's more of the issue than physical. It's just trying to figure out how to get yourself back up and, and excited to play and, and um, you know, reading your scouting report and trying to digest all that information in such a short time. Awesome. Um, guys, I, I don't want to get into like huge platitudes, but I do think this is worth discussing as we're sitting here in, in September uh, as practice is about to start. Um, and Sean, I'll go to you first. What does a successful preseason look like for this squad? I mean, with such an influx of new personnel, uh, also an infusion of talent, uh, but, but what, does, what does a successful preseason look like for Hubert Davis's you know, first foray into college coaching? I think uh, number one is just full health um, in terms of, of, you know, no, no major injuries or even, even kind of a, a two week injury. Uh, Cause I think 
last year, you know, Walker Kessler is kind of a prime example of somebody that missed that, that preseason time. And it, it really set him back um, in terms of getting acclimated. And it's hard if you lose that preseason time of then trying to make it up during the year. So I think with this team where you're mixing a lot of returners and with some very crucial uh, new pieces, I just think, you know, being, being fully healthy because that'll just increase the overall overall reps for the players playing together, but also as they get used to Hubert Davis and the, and the new coaching staff. And I'm sure a lot of things will be similar, but they're going to be some very key changes and just making sure that everybody can pick up on those as quickly as possible. Shrell, what about you, man? What, what do you feel like would be the, you know, maybe one or two things that would dictate a successful preseason for the squad? It's hard to do, but I would say role definition to me is really, really important. Um, it sounds good that it's going to be free flowing and everybody's going to get shots and everybody's going to be taking threes and everybody's going to have space. But the reality is, as we all know, there's one basketball and there's going to have to be people to do the dirty work. And a lot of the dirty work doesn't come with stats and doesn't come with adoration from people, um, you know, like us, frankly. (laughs) So um, who's going to be a really good screener? You know, who's going to take the challenge of guarding the best wing player or the best post player, the best guard each game? Um, who's going to sacrifice, you know, a good shot for a great shot. So learning that kind of thing, uh, I think is going to be really important for the team because right now they're super, super talented. I, I, I keep going back to the roster and looking at this man, there's nobody more talented than North Carolina. Maybe I would say just on raw talent, there's maybe three or four, te- three or four teams who have better depth and better talent than, than UNC. It's just about, Hubert Davis figuring out the right mix and it could be a situation where he already knows the seven or eight guys he's going to play and they've already figured that out but if not I think that's a huge thing uh, for the preseason because again new head coach we know how Roy Williams approached things he would play 13 guys in a November (laughs) game to try and figure out who could do what you know maybe Hubert Davis like I said maybe he's from game one these are his eight guys these are the people who are playing let's keep it moving we, we don't know. So I'm curious to kind of fill a, a lot of that stuff out. I think the comment about role definition and understanding, you know, what each player's lane is, is pretty powerful. Uh, I, I'm just the host, not an, not an analyst like you guys, but I, I do think it will be very interesting to see how a player like Puff Johnson or um, one of the other guys from last year that, that was a rotation, uh, a rotation guy at best, I'd love to see how they do this year without expectations on them to come in and provide things, you know, when they have better talent around them and they have more quality depth, you know, to be able to come in and, and be a little freer uh, and, and be more likely to, you know, to have, um, to have less pressure, but kind of that, that, that less negative motivation than they've had before. So um, that's just, again, that, that maybe I'm stealing Sean's two pennies here, but uh, anything you want to add before we wrap up, Sean? Well, I mean, I think, especially for this team, because you, you look at the, the front court and you know the question is how do, how do Armando Brady and, and Garcia um, you know how do they all fit in together because once again I highly doubt you're going to be seeing three of them on the court um, and if you are it'll probably be, be limited minutes and then you add in you know Justin McCoy who you know left UVA wasn't getting a lot of playing time off the bench and I'm sure as he was looking to transfer was kind of expecting that that bump up. Um, and then you have, you have puff and style. So you have a lot of guys. Um, and I think we've seen in the past, obviously this was under Roy Williams that the most successful teams had a, had a strong seven or eight, and you didn't really go much past that. 
Uh, but this team is going to have a lot of, of pieces. And then once again, going back to those early games of being able to utilize those games to try different lineups and different, different opportunities to see, you know, what's the right, what's the right mix and how do people play with each other? It, Cause you know, I'm, I'm gonna jump in real quick. Cause we've seen it. We've seen it hurt North Carolina, honestly, to have yes. too much depth and too much yes. talent because nobody quite knew exactly how to play with each other or, um, nobody quite knew what their role was. So I, I think Sean's point is a great one. Maybe Hubert Davis hasn't figured out where he's going to be able to play 12 guys a game. But, uh, you know, as it looks now, if you're – most coaches tend to get to that seven or eight, and, and that's where they're at. So there's going to be somebody who we think is pretty good who, if, you know, they go eight deep, isn't going to be getting a ton of playing time. So I'm interested to see how Hubert Davis as a head coach handles that off the court because you have to have buy-in. If you don't have buy-in from – new pieces and old pieces, um, you know, things can, can get rough. So that, that's going to be something that I think he'll handle um, fairly early. And it's probably something he's probably already addressed over the summer. We just don't know it. It will be definitely interesting and, and compelling uh, TV to watch or to follow or however it is that you, you track North Carolina basketball. Uh, boys, I always appreciate the insight that you bring for this ep- this show and each individual episode. Uh, I just want to reach out to our, our viewers and listeners again, just remind them, hey, please rate and review us. Uh, to quote the uh, the very awesome Bomani Jones, friend of this show, uh, please rate us five stars, because if you only give us four stars, I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. So make sure you give us some, uh, some rating review love out there. Uh, it helps us, you know, give you good content it helps us to appear at the top of search engines so all of that helps perpetuate and you put good karma out into the atmosphere why would you not want to do that but i really appreciate all of you guys listening viewing taking us in and letting us be a part of your lives we will catch you sometime soon down the road this has been another episode of the coast to coast podcast here on InsideCarolina.com. thanks to johnny t-shirt for sponsoring to john siegley for producing for sean moran for Cheryl mcmillan i'm just joey powell we will catch you guys next time late Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.